But before we start, I just want to just share. Um, I know that if you look around and you've seen outside, our attendance has been a little bit light. And, you know, partly it's because of what's going on with, you know, COVID-19. And um, we are still abiding by L.A. County's uh, health department's um, recommendations for meeting as a house of a place of worship and so just to let you know the uh, staff and board will be meeting to talk about do we need to take other measures to you know keep us protected because we want you to um, be safe and we've been doing it by you know meeting here in person and uh, asking everyone to be masked and even if you're outside we ask you to that you're masked um, and that we also have services online and we have services outside and so those are the things we're doing to help protect us but just to let you know we will be talking and discussing because this is changing things and we are i feel like a, a nfl coach where um, we are thin in certain positions and if people can't come in because they are being they're not sure whether they have covid or not you know especially when it comes to our av team and worship teams you know we might have to you know, you cancel worship service at the last minute if we don't have people to do our streaming or our worship. So just to let you know, to um, be flexible with us. We're doing our best to try to provide a place, a place where you could worship God, but it's difficult in these times. So I just wanted to let you know that. But as most of you know, that uh, that I'm a Marvel buff. That I just I've watched all of the um, Marvel movies, and you know the last one that came out, Shang. Well, it's not the last one, but you know Shang Chi. I watched that probably about forty times. You know, just because I love Marvel and I like what they've done with their um, series. But there's this one character called the Hulk. You know, if those of you who don't know what the Hulk is, if you could go to this um, first slide there. This is a picture of Bruce Banner, whom you see on your right, and the Hulk. Now, Bruce Banner is a scientist, and his desire is to live in peace, or to live a peaceful life through the pursuit of science, because he's a really mild-mannered guy and a very peaceful person. However, he has an alter ego who is a result of a failed science experiment that is bent on destruction as an expression of his rage. And so here you have two people, two personalities living within this one individual. And you know, he struggles with these two people, one peaceful one and the other bent on destruction. But sometimes our Christian life is like that. We struggle, you know, with sin. And today, if that's you, if you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with certain attitudes or you're struggling with certain um, uh, just uh, behaviors in your life that seem to be bothering you, I want you to know that as a believer, it's normal. Okay, and it's also necessary for growth as a believer. You know, and we can struggle guilt free knowing that God never condemns his children for making mistakes. And we're gonna I'm gonna talk about the necessity and the importance struggling with sin plays in the development of our faith. And we are gonna take a look 
at Romans 8. And we're going to go through this series, and it'll go, from, it'll go from January through February. And some say that Romans 8 is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. And most everything that you want to know about the Christian doctrine or Christian belief is found in the book of Romans. So it's a great book um, to study. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me um, to Romans um, chapter 7, verse uh, chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 7. Okay? And the reason we're starting in verse 7 is because in order to understand the first two verses in chapter 8, you have to understand what's going on in chapter 7. So let's start there. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Well, of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would have never known that coveting is wrong if the law had said, you must not covet. Now, back then, as Paul was talking about this, people were upset at the law because, you know, as Jewish, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, salvation was come, a uh, person experienced salvation by following the law. And if you didn't follow the law, you were either punished. But also, if you didn't follow the law by eventually converting to Judaism, you would, what, die spiritually. And so they were saying, well, then if the law is revealing behavior that leads to spiritual death, is it sinful? And Paul says, of course not, because if there wasn't a law, he wouldn't know that there were certain behaviors that God didn't want us to uh, have. And that one, one of them was coveting. And it says, God knows us. God created us, and he knows the best way for us to live, uh, live our lives. So he created laws as guardrails for us to uh, protect us. You know, if we, if he didn't create the laws, we wouldn't, uh, be capable of knowing how God wants us to live. Several weeks ago, um, Pastor Steve said that, you know, the Bible is like our handbook. And that's what it is. And the Bible is a way of telling us what um, God um, expects from us. But it's also our handbook to know how to live the best our best lives, right? Because we are not capable on our own to live our best lives. Why? Because God creates us. He knows us intimately, and he knows how we function. So he's saying, you know what? If you want to live the best life you can, it's all there in the Bible. It's all there in the Bible. But, you know, if he didn't create them, we wouldn't know that you know, these certain things existed, like speed limits, for example. You know, if you go down um, San Gabriel Boulevard at 80 miles an hour, most likely you're going to get a ticket. Why? Because there's a speed limit. There's a law that says you could only go, I think it's, what, 35 miles an hour on San Gabriel Boulevard, right? It's not like the Autobahn. You know, in Germany, if you go to Autobahn, there is no speed limit. You could drive as fast as you want, you know. And I've been on the Autobahn. Unfortunately, instead of being in a BMW, I was in a Yugo. And I was on a place where I could drive as fast as I can, and I would floor that Yugo, and the fastest I would go is 50 miles an hour, right? And so, but in Germany, you could Drive as fast as you want, even though the recommendation is about 81 miles an hour. There is no law saying that you have to go a certain speed. So feel free to drive as fast as you want. Well, you try to do that here on San Gabriel Boulevard. 
what's going to happen? You're going to get a ticket because there's a law in place um, to limit how fast you could go. And so Paul um, says the law is good. Okay, because it revealed certain um, actions that God doesn't want us to do because he wants the best for us. And he continues in um, verse 8. He said, but sin use, but sin use this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have this power. And so basically what the Apostle Paul is saying is that, hey, if there was no law, he would not know that coveting is wrong. And because he knows that coveting is wrong now, because says that we shouldn't covet, all these coveting desires are welling within him. And basically what he, Paul is saying is God's law reveals that we are all sinners. Okay, Every single one of us that are sitting in today, sitting outside, watching online, God's law revealed that we are all sinners. Now I know for some of you this is going to be review, but hopefully for uh, some of you who this is new, this will, be, this will um, inspire you um, to live the life that God wants you to live. And for those of you who are a little bit further down in your faith, hopefully this will also, God will reveal or something new for you today. For Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Okay? And this is what Paul is trying to say. God created the law, which is good, which is to reveal that we were all sinners. And he continues to say, At one time I lived without understanding the law, but I learned the command not to covet. For instance, the power of sin came to life, and I died. So I discovered that the law's command, which was supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Right, And what Paul is saying here, there's a time when he didn't even realize coveting was wrong. He didn't know it, right? When he was probably, even though he was a Pharisee, probably when he was a young, young child, he didn't know that coveting is wrong. And what is coveting? Coveting is just possess, is the yearning to possess something that doesn't rightfully belong to you or something that is prohibited by God, that you want to go after something that is prohibited by God. And so what Paul is saying is that um, now that he is aware of coveting and it's welling up inside him and he's um, coveting a lot of things that he shouldn't, what's he doing? He's breaking the law that God put in place so that we could live uh, a righteous and holy life, his standard of living. Right, And because Paul falls short, what happened? He realized it brought death. And he says, sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. And so basically what God placed his law to reveal to us, number one, he has a righteous standard. And number two, that none of us can... um, uh, none of us can live up to that standard. And because we can't live up to that standard, it leads to what? Spiritual death. And we all know that Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. And so this is what Paul is saying, you know, that the people were complaining. See, this is why the law is evil. Because if we didn't have the law, we wouldn't have spiritual death. We wouldn't have to live eternity 
away from God if God didn't create any laws because what? Then there would have been nothing to hold us accountable for. But still, the law itself is holy and its commands are holy, right, and good. But how can this be? Did the law which is good cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death so that we could see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its evil purposes. What Paul is saying, the law itself is an evil, but breaking the law reveals the evilness of sin. The commandment that God created, thou shalt not murder, is good because it what? It preserves life. However, committing murder is evil. Do you see the difference between the two here? And the law is good because it reveals um, our sinfulness, but it also points us to the fact that we need a Savior, that we on our own cannot measure up to God's human standards, right? God has these holy and righteous standards that he wants, that he created us to live by. And he understands that we can't live up to them. So he created these laws to show us that we can't live up to that. Even though the laws were created for us to live the best life that we could, he also put them in place to show us that none of us, none of us could live up to these laws. And because we can't live up to these laws, the consequence for that is spiritual death, right? And so let's continue in verse 7 through 14. It says, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am human, a slave to sin. So what Paul's saying is, it's not the law that's the problem. I can't go blaming the law and saying, you know, driving down you know, San Gabriel at 35 miles an hour is bad, you know. I need to get from point A to B, and I need to get there now. He said, that's not the problem. The problem is me. The problem is my impatience. The problem is my, you know, fail to plan ahead, and so I'm late, and so I have to, in order for me to get to where I need to go, I've got to definitely drive faster than 35 miles down San Gabriel Boulevard. So Paul is saying, the law, the problem is not with the law. The problem is with him. He says, I do not really understand myself, for what I want to do is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what, is, what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law, law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Okay, so Paul is saying, you know what? I agree the law is good. I want to follow the law right? But there's something inside of me that I want to do what's right, but I just don't do it. You know, I do the opposite of it. And so what he's saying, you know, if I want to do what's right and I, I can't do it, it's no longer me, but it's this, there's something inside of me that is compelling to do what I think is wrong, and that's sin. Now, Paul is not giving himself a license to sin, Right? Because the Romans thought that. The Romans thought, wow, you know, if we have grace, if we have forgiveness, we could do whatever we want. And that's, what's Paul, that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is not, 
making excuses for himself or giving himself a license to commit, commit sin. He's saying that there's something inside of him that, that's compelling him to do what he knows is wrong. Let's continue in verse 18. And I know nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Okay, do you see the conflict that's going on in him here? He's saying, I know what I should be doing, and I want to do it, but I don't. I do the very thing that I know it is wrong, right? How many of you have that conflict inside of you? Right? When we sin, when we make mistakes, most of the time, I'd say majority of the time, we don't just stumble in. Right? We kind of know what we're doing is wrong, but we do it anyway. And this is what Paul is trying to say here. But in verse 20, but if I do, but if I do what I don't want to do, I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do right, I inevitably do what is wrong. It's interesting that he says, I have discovered this principle in life. You know, how many of you have struggled with sin and felt that, man, there's got to be something wrong with me? Because I look at the other people around, I look at the other believers, and they seem to be doing fine. What's wrong with me? But what does Paul say here? He's discovered this principle in life, that when he wants to do what is right, he inevitably does what is wrong. It says, I love God's law with all my heart. Not only does Paul love the law, but he wants to follow it. He wants to obey Jesus with all his heart but he just can't seem to do it, right? He can't seem to do it all the time. There is another power there, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Basically, Paul is saying that when he became a believer, there's something still inside him that's compelling him to do what he normally does, what he knows is wrong, and that's called our sin nature. Okay? Each one of us was born with a sin nature, and when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior and accept him into his heart and believe that his death on the cross covered our sins, what does God do? God forgives our sin nature, but he doesn't remove it. He forgives it, but he doesn't remove it. And this is what Paul is saying here. This is the struggle because God did not remove his sinful nature. God has just forgiven it. So all the sins that come out of our sinful nature, they're forgiven, but those are the things we're going to struggle with. And if you take a look at this next one, this is the old school Hulk, if you could see this one. Okay, this is 1970 Hulk. Well, we have, remember, Bill Bixby, right? Well, you see here, right? Bill Bixby was Dr. Bruce Banner. But you could just see this transformation where he says, you don't want to make me angry. 
You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Why? Because when he gets angry, what happens? You see this slow transition till he turns into, you know, this Hulk, right? But that's, I love this because it's a picture of each one of us. Because each one of us is Bruce Banner, and each one of us has a Hulk living inside. And the Hulk, then, and it depends on who shows up, right? Who shows up. Um, but we all have both living inside us. And so, struggling with sin because we are becoming more sensitive to our sin is a sign of a growing believer. And this is something that you have to know, okay? That struggling with sin because we are becoming more sensitive to our sin is a sign of a growing believer, right? I used to think that I was a spiritual loser because it's like, I know what's right. How come I keep doing what is wrong? How come I keep doing it over and over and over again? And it used to frustrate me. And there were times when I was defeated, times I wanted to give up on the faith. Why? Because I said, this is way too hard, right? Until I realized, actually, that struggle is a sign of a growing believer. Because you know when Paul wrote this? Paul was a mature believer when he wrote this. He was probably walking with the Lord between 21 and 22 years at this time. So Paul was a mature believer. And he was one of the greatest of all of the apostles. And here one of the greatest of all apostles is saying, I, w- I know what's right, I want to do it, but I just don't, right? You know, he's not a spiritual loser. And for Paul, unfortunately, even though he didn't know this, he would be executed seven years from the time he wrote this. Paul was a mature believer, right? He wasn't a spiritual excuse me, a spiritual loser. And why? Because God uses, as we become more and more mature in the faith, God makes our sensitivity to sin even greater. And so sometimes it feels like, man, how come I'm not getting any better? How come it feels like I'm getting worse? Why? It's not because you're a spiritual loser. It's because God is heightening our sense of sin. You know, today, you know, there's a lot of frustration going on with COVID-19. I'm sure the kids are all frustrated. They're like, do I go to school? Do I not go to school? Man, they just pulled me away from school. Now some of the Cal States and some of the major schools are saying, you know, this semester we're going to go um, uh, remote. You know, people are trying to get COVID test because, oh, no, I've got a, a little fever. I've got a cough. I've got a sore throat. I'm trying to get a COVID test. And what happens? It's almost impossible to get a COVID test because so many people are getting it, right? We thought it would be over. Um, it's back again. And it's just frustrating. It's frustrating. And, then, and they found another variant in France this past week. And so we're saying, ha, ah, people are just getting frustrated. And so what's going on? We see this division. We see this anger. We see this complaining going on in people. But you know what? All of this attitude, all of this frustration is what? Finding its way into the church. You know, where it's like, 
Hey, are you vaccinated or are you an anti-vax person? Do you believe in wearing masks or, hey, you know, it's a, we shouldn't, the government shouldn't tell us that we need to wear a mask, right? And all of this is entering, it's starting to filter into the church. And I've read an article about this where they were saying that complaints in church are at an all-time high. Why? Because people are just frustrated. People are just frustrated. And when they complain, what do they start to do? When people complain, they start to gossip. And then gossip leads to division within a, a unit or organization. And this is something that I learned when I first entered into the workplace, right? You know, when I first entered into the workplace, when I was in college, I worked in a carpet manufacturer, right? And guess what we grumbled about all the time? We grumbled about the work conditions. We grumbled about um, management, and we complained about, you know, them. But, and we also gossiped about anybody that had more, who was more successful than us, right? If one of somebody in a unit uh, was promoted, guess what? People started gossiping, but all of this gossip started this division among this um, one company. But you know what? I learned that every company I worked in, it was the same thing. It was the same thing. People gossiped, and then there was factions formed, and these were causing divisions within the unit. What? And it was gossip, right? Um, but then I started working for the church. Surely it'll be different. It was the same thing, if not worse, than out there in the church, right? And um, the gossip and people were causing divisions in the church, right? And I was a part of it. I was gossiping, you know, with my fellow staff members or, or members of the church. Why isn't this happening? Or why is this happening? You know, and, and what I didn't realize is this was causing divisions within the church, right? I didn't realize it because it was something that, hey, we all did, right? It's, who's it hurting? It's not hurting anybody, right? So we just did it. And I did it until I read this. Proverbs 6 Starting from 16, it says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Now, some people have interpreted this that God hates, in his God, in his righteous anger, hates all of these things. Others say that, yeah, he hates six of these things, but man, this seventh thing, seventh thing he really hates. But these are the seven things. It says, a haughty eyes, meaning somebody that's proud, who thinks that they are better than somebody else, somebody that looks down at other people. It says a lying tongue is second, that things that God hates. Hands that shed innocent blood, you know, cold-blooded murderers or murderers. God hates these things. It says a heart that, in verse 18, a heart that devises wicked schemes, Right? People that just think about evil all the time, committing evil all the time. And then feet that are quick to rush into evil, meaning you know what's wrong, but boom, man, I'm going to do it anyway. God hates these things. And then a false witness who pours out lies. Basically, God hates it when we um, tell lies about somebody else, right? Those are the six things. God hates, 
right? And you could see that, why he hates murder, why he hates people who devise wicked schemes or people that just rush into evil, you know, or lie about people. But this is a seventh. And a person who stirs up conflict in the community. God hates this, right? And why does God hate that seventh thing so much? Because what's God's main purpose in this world? What's God's main purpose? To save us. And in the Old Testament, he used the nation of Israel to communicate the gospel message that God wants to save people from the sin, their sins. And in the New Testament, he uses the church. So in God, in his righteous anger, absolutely hates division in his church because it focuses people away from his ultimate plan of saving people, right? And as I, after I read this, I go, oh my goodness, this is me. I call myself a disciple of Jesus Christ, and I am doing one of the things that God hates. So then I started struggling with it. Somebody would come to me with a piece of gossip. I'd go, ooh, you know, and I'd listen to it, and I'd go, oh. And then you'd use that whole thing where, hey, uh, Co, can you um, pray for Yumi? Because this is what's going on in Yumi's life, and I think we've got to pray for her. Right, this is Christian gossip, right, right there, right. And so when people told me, I, I, you know, I struggled with it. It's like, oh man, you know, why did I pass that along? And it used to bother me, and I, I didn't bother. I struggled with that, and every time I failed, it's like, ah. But then it came to a point because of my struggle that now gossip hurts my ears, really. And so if somebody comes up to me with vicious, vicious gossip, gossip, I get the same visceral reaction if somebody tells me a racist joke. When somebody says a racist joke, it just, it angers me. That it gives me a visceral reaction. Well, when I hear gossip now, I get that same reaction. Before, I didn't even know it was wrong. Then I struggled with it And now when I hear it, it hurts my ears. Why? Because God, through my struggle, has convicted me. Because he wants me to become more like what? Jesus Christ. But he's not finished with me yet. Why? Because the people tell me about what's happening in their church, right? The problems that are going on in their church. And before, um, I was like, whew, Thank goodness Mission Valley doesn't have that problem, right? Or because of my low esteem, right, and comparing myself to other churches, when people tell me what's going on in their church, I'm going, phew, at least Mission Valley's not that bad, right? And so I felt good about Mission Valley because their church was, in my opinion, was worse than ours, right? Haughty eyes. Um, But that's where I was. But then I started realizing that I'm participating in the same thing, except being in the local church, I'm involved in gossip, and I'm contributing to to division in the global church. So now when somebody tells me that, hey, this is what's going on in their church, it's like, I'm starting to struggle with that. I said, oh, I shouldn't have responded to that. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Or, Or... You know, I should have redirected or reframed the problem or I should have corrected 
that individual to say that, you know, it's hard being in leadership in the church. You know, your church is no different from ours. You need to support your pastor. You need to support your staff. You need to stop this gossip, right? So hopefully in the future, you know, when I hear people complaining about that church or their church, I'll have that same reaction. And that's what struggling does. Because once again, I used to think that struggling with sin meant that I was a spiritual loser. But it's not. Now I know that it's necessary for the development of my faith. Why? Because at least I struggle. At least I struggle. I mean, what if I didn't struggle? Then that would show that I don't even care. You know, I, I don't care that God's law is good. Now, I want to do what I want to do. And if I do what God's law says, if I do what God's law says I shouldn't, who cares? I'm going to do it anyway. But I care. I want to be obedient to God. I want to love Jesus. I don't want to hurt God. Yet I still do it, and it bothers me. But I realize, as Paul did, it's a principle in our life, right? You are not a spiritual loser. So if you are struggling with something here today, if you are going through the same thing Paul did, you are not a spiritual loser. God is using your struggle to fine-tune your faith. And he's going to reveal more and more things that you're doing now that you don't even think are wrong, but he's going to reveal those to you, and you're going to struggle with them too. Then he says, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And I don't know if you've ever felt like this, but as, you know, when I struggled with sin, I felt this. I felt, how miserable of a person am I? And God, how are you going to free me from this? And he goes, thank God, the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So Paul finally, Paul gets it, and he's trying to communicate to us the life lessons he's learned about struggling with sin. It's, even though he's miser- he felt miserable because he was doing things he shouldn't, he says, who's going to save me? Well, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who saves us from this. And this is why we go into Romans 8.1. It says, So, for all the times that we struggled with sin, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful news? For those of us who struggle with sin, what is Apostle Paul saying here? That God says that there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. Yes, we struggle. Yes, we know what is right. Yes, we still do what is wrong, right? But God never condemns those who are his children. God will never condemn you. And if you hear these condemning voices in your head because you're struggling with sin, I guarantee you that is not coming from God, that is coming from the devil himself. Why? Because it's right here in Scripture. This is a promise that God will never, ever, ever condemn us 
for our sins. We have to live with the consequences for our sins, and God's going to do that, right? God's going to discipline us, but he never condemns us. So we always have that hope, no matter how much we struggle, that the law will never bring forth death in our lives. We will never, ever be separated from God, and that's going to come later on in Romans chapter 8, where sin cannot separate us. Because you belong to him, the power of life-giving of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Isn't that wonderful? That God doesn't condemn us. That God has freed us from the ultimate consequence of sin, which is death. And that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you never have to worry about, hey, am I going to experience spiritual death? No, because the Bible says that there is no condemnation for those who belong in Jesus Christ. For those of you who struggle with sin, you are not spiritual losers. That's just a principle of life that Paul discovered, that we all have a sin nature that's going to wage war against us. We all have Bruce Banner and the Hulk living inside each one of us, right? And sometimes Bruce Banner is going to come out. Sometimes the Hulk is going to come out. But praise God, he doesn't condemn us when the Hulk comes out, right? He's just using it to refine us, to become more like Christ. So what's our weekly challenge this week? I want you to read Romans chapters 7, read the entire chapter 7, and read Romans 8, 1 to 2 this week. And I just want you to do one thing. One thing. Can you all remember this? Each time you struggle with sin and fail, I want you to ask God for forgiveness and tell yourself God does not condemn me because I belong to Christ. Because I guarantee you, each time that you fail, Satan's going to take advantage of that. Satan's going to take advantage of your struggle and say, man, if you were a Christian, you've been a Christian for 20 years just like Paul, and man, you're still struggling with this. Are you really a Christian? Do you really care about God? Satan's going to do that. And he's going to say, you know what? You've committed this in so many times. You are now outside of God's forgiveness. That will never happen. So when that happens this week and you fail, each time remind yourself, God does not condemn me because I belong to Christ. Worship team, could you please come forward and please, uh, as we close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, I I thank you so much for the Apostle Paul and for what we learned in this chapter. Father, for I struggled with this for a good portion of my Christian life where I struggled with sin and I couldn't figure out why I was doing the things that I know you didn't want me to do. I knew, yet I did them anyway. And Father, the things that, that I know you wanted me to do I just didn't do those things. And Father, that bothered me for so, such a long time where I did think I was a spiritual loser because I failed so much. I didn't realize that you were refining me. 
that you want me to become so much like your son, Jesus Christ, that you are heightening my awareness to sin. And things that I was doing that I didn't consider even wrong, Father, you started revealing them to me, as Apostle Paul said. Because if I didn't know they were wrong, how would I know that this isn't something that I should be doing or this is some, an area in life that I would want to correct? But Father, we thank you that in the midst of our struggle, you do not condemn us. That your grace, your mercy is strong enough to cover every failure in our lives. And so as, you know, as code just kind of strums a little bit here, I want you to just spend some moments thinking of things that you struggle with right now, things that might have caused you to feel defeated or that you were a second-hand Christian or spiritual loser. I want you to think of those things. And I want you to say, as you, these things come to your mind, I want you to say, God does not condemn me because I'm a child, because I belong to Christ. Father, we thank you so much that you freed us from the grips of sin, the consequences of sin, not from sinning. But, Father, you've freed us from the consequences of sin. So, Father, I pray that each person here can live a life of freedom and not let their mistakes hold them back, that they do not let their mistakes lead to guilt and shame because that's not why you instituted the law. You wanted us to live our best lives and we can't do that when we are living a life of guilt and shame. And Father, you freed us from living that and it's only by our choice that we choose to live that way. So we thank you, Father, for that. We thank you for the principle of life that Paul learned as he was a mature Christian. Brothers and sisters, may that give you hope this week as you strive through the help of the Holy and power of the Holy Spirit to become more like Jesus Christ. In his son's name we pray, amen.